Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 3 about the first, second, and third failure of Eve in speaking to the serpent in the Garden of Eden and how we can all learn from her failure on how not to fail today. Download this message for free on iTunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast or download it for free or listen to it at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org to continue supporting this Bible teaching radio program. We also want to let you know that Tom Cantor is the owner-operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, the second largest creation museum in the world. And we'd like to invite you out to Museum Day on Saturday, September 27th. We'll have speakers such as Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Eric Hovind, and other notable speakers in this wonderful family fair with rides, games, events, food, and fellowship. And this year's theme is Noah's Ark, so we'll have lots of animals here at the Creation and Earth History Museum's Museum Day, Saturday, September 27th, here in Santee, California, just outside of San Diego, California. We'd like to be a part of this event, and you need more information, go to creationsd.org, creationsd, as in San Diego, creationsd.org. You can also go online to friendshipwithgod.org to get creation resources through our bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org, as well as Tom Cantor's written materials, all available at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about this upcoming event or donating to Israel Restoration Ministries or to the Friendship with God radio program, you can call us at 800-247-3051, Call us now or after the program or again, friendshipwithgod.org or creationsd.org. Here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis chapter 3 today about the first, second, and third failure of Eve in speaking to the serpent in the Garden of Eden and how we can learn from her failure on how not to fail today. Now, why did Paul say that when he was weak, he was strong? He said it because of the last part of verse 9 in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where he says that the power of Christ may what? Dwell, rest upon me. He wanted... You know what that word means, rest, in the Greek? It means to tent upon, to set up a tent over, to tent upon. So Paul, he wanted the power of Christ to tent over him. He wanted the Lord Jesus Christ to set up his tent over him. When we think we're strong, we think, I don't need any tent over me. I'm I'm really strong. Tents are for sissies. I'm not a sissy. You and I are no match for this one in Genesis 3. No match. We're no match for the devil. And it's only when we know we are weak that we'll turn to God and say, Lord, tent over me. Tent over me. I'm weak. I want the power of Christ to tent over me. And you know why this is so important? Because only when we get in this position of knowing that we are without strength, And when we ask God and we say, I need your tent of strength over me, that's the only way to become a friend of God. There's four really important words I want you to focus on. Isaiah 57, 15. There are four really important words here. Thus, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth. Now that's the first important word there. That's the word shochen, shochen, shochen. It's a very important word 
Because the word means to settle down or to lie down or to abide, to dwell, to, to tent, to camp, to nest, nest, nestle. That's what shochen means. He says, I am the high and lofty one and I shochen, I, li- I live, I dwell with eternity. So those who dwell with him are going to dwell with eternity too, as in eternal life. Whose name is holy. I dwell. There's the same word again, shochen. I dwell, I abide, I camp with, I nest with in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite, that's the second important word, that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Contrite. That's the word daka. Daka. That's important. That word means crushed or made powder. You know where that's famously used? And as Isaiah 53, 5, when he said, he was bruised for our iniquities. That's the word daka. It means bruised. It means beat. It means pulverized, crushed. He says, I dwell with him that is that word, daka, that is pulverized, that is crushed. And he says, contrite and humble. That's the third important word. Humble, humble. That's the word shafal, shafal. Shafal is the word for depressed, depression. It means he dwells with the one who is depressed, who has a pulverized and a depressed spirit. Pulverized or crushed, bruised, and depressed spirit. And the fourth important word is the word, this word, to revive, to revive. That's the word chaya. Chaya is chay, you know, life. So he breathed into man the breath of life, chayim. Chaya means to give life. And he says, he gives life to revive the heart of the crushed ones. The heart of the crushed ones, you see? So from this verse, God says that he dwells, he shochens with the contrite, the bruised ones, with the humble ones, the depressed ones, the shafal. And he gives them life, chayab. But what does God do? He does this wonderful thing that we just talked about. That's what they need. They need life. What do you need when you're depressed? I need life. What do you need when you're bruised and broken? I need life. And God says, that's what I'm here to give you. That's why it's so important to know that we are without strength. Because that only puts us in the place. Now, that word shochin is very, very important. It's used in a number of places. For example, it's the root of shekinah. You've all heard the shekinah glory. But it comes from this word of the resting, the resting or the abiding glory. It says in, in Numbers 12, when it's talked about the, the movement of the tabernacle, it said, where the cloud rested, shochin, where it, in other words, went to dwell. In Psalm 16, 9, I'm just going to give you some verses here. Therefore, my heart is glad, my glory rejoices, my flesh also shall rest, shochin, shall dwell in hope, shall rest in hope. Shochen tikvah, shall rest in hope. So then he says in, in Joel 3.17, it says God is dwelling in Zion. That's God's choice to dwell in Zion. In Nehemiah 1.9, he says, I have chosen, he's speaking about Jerusalem, he said, I have chosen to set my name there. That word set is shochen. I've chosen to dwell there. 
I've chosen to be there. And that's one of many examples where God says that I chose where I'm going to dwell and live in Zion and Jerusalem. And you find this in Deuteronomy 14.23, Deuteronomy 16.2, Deuteronomy 16.6, Deuteronomy 26.2. All says the same thing. He chose to shochin, to dwell or live in Jerusalem. Same in Psalm 135, 21, Isaiah 8, 18, Joel 3, 21. So all of these verses are saying the same thing. But maybe one of the most wonderful uses of this verse is the introduction to the subject, which someday we'll get to, on the tabernacle, which covers 50 chapters in the Bible. Creation covers two. The tabernacle, speaking of redemption, covers 50 chapters. Very important. But the introductory verse for the tabernacle and for the creation of the tabernacle is found in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. So if you turn to that, please. Because here in this verse, God introducing the why of the tabernacle. Why are we going to have a tabernacle, Lord? Why are we going to do this? And God says in Exodus 25, 8, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may shochen, that I may dwell, that I may live with them, that I may shochen among them, that I may dwell among them. And he says the sanctuary, that's the same sanctuary which we won't turn to now, but if you like to note, Ezekiel eleven sixteen, it speaks about that when he has scattered them into all these countries, he says, I will, I, God says, will be to them a little sanctuary in the countries. Now, the word tabernacle is the word mishkan, which comes from the shochen. Mishkan, it's the same word, Psalm 26, 8. It says, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Mishkan, like the tabernacle, comes from shochen. This is friendship with God. This is what Shochain is saying. It's friendship with God. It's living with God. It's just like the, the, the song says, living with Jesus, a life that is true, living for Jesus, striving to please him in all that I do, yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free. This is the pathway of blessing for me. The Shochain chapter, and then turn to it, John chapter 15, please. John 15 is the very, very important chapter because it's the chapter about this concept of living with God, of dwelling with God, of God dwelling with us and us dwelling with God, of God Shochaining with us and us Shochaining with God. And that's what the word abide means. Now, we've got it in Greek, but he didn't speak Greek, so I'm sure he said shochen, but anyway, you can ask him when you get to heaven. And so, in verse 5, it says, abide in me. I'm absolutely certain he said, shochen with me, abide with me, and I in you. Shochen, shochen. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide, it shochen. In the vine, no more can ye except ye abide, ye shochain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth or shochains in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Very, very important. We don't just one, two, three, repeat after me, say a prayer, and God goes his way and we go our way. That's not the program. The program is abide with me. 
I with you. Shochen with me. You shochen with me. I'll shochen with you. It is a life now that's going to be an echad together with God. Together with God. So, that's the program. Now, turn back to Genesis 3 and we'll get back into the enemy's approach. Okay. Verse 1 of Genesis 3 says that uh, the serpent was more crafty. And he says to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. All right, now first question here. All right, first of all. Uh, his first words that he said, Satan said to Eve, are these do's or don'ts? It's don'ts, right? It's don'ts. Yeah, don't, don't, right? Okay, that's important. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. So that ye were examples to all that believe. So the Thessalonian believers are examples. In Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need to not to speak anything, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. What did those exemplary Thessalonians do first? Did they turn to God first or did they turn from idols first? They turned to God first. Why does it say that they turned to God first and then they turned from idols? Because they loved God. They loved Jesus who delivered them from the wrath to come. And when they found the Lord Jesus Christ, they said, Oh, I found God to love. I found God to adore. I found God to cling to. I found God to shochen with, to dwell with, or nest with. Then they said, Okay, what's keeping me away from God? Why can't I get closer to God? Idols, out with the idols. That's important. They turn to God from idols. It doesn't say they turn from idols to God. You know what it is to, if you're going to say turn from God to That's religion. That's dead, lifeless, sterile religion. Okay, that, now you come here, my son. I'm going to give you a long list of things you can't do. Don't do this and don't do that and don't do the other thing. And here's 613 don'ts. And they'll keep growing too. A few do's but mainly don'ts. And that's religion. That's God's way. That's why people get so turned off at religion. It's just a series of what you can't do. The Bible's way, first there's a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, as in the case of these Thessalonians. Then there's recognition of how sin destroys that friendship and that relationship with him. That's why when Potiphar's wife propositioned Joseph, after all, a young, unmarried man, hormones raging, lots of physical desires, lots of why not in his mind. After all, nobody loves God around here. You look at it in Genesis 39, 9 later. He ran out of the house screaming, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin? Two words, against God. How can I do this against God? What was it? that David, king of Israel, said when he needed to hide God's word in his heart. In Psalm 119, 11, you know the verse. Thy word have I hid in mine heart 
that I might not sin against thee. And when he did sin against God with Bathsheba and Uriah, what did he say in Psalm 51 verse 4? Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this great evil in thy sight. So when it comes to sin, the issue is what it does to our friendship with God. The issue is what it does with our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The issue is Isaiah 59, 2. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. That's the issue. The issue is, as the hymn says, there should be nothing between. Like worldly pleasure, habits of life, though harmless they seem, must not my soul from him e'er sever. He is my all. There's nothing between. So the issue is nothing, nothing should interfere with our friendship with God. But when Satan approached Eve, he didn't start with the person of God. You know, he didn't start off by, by saying, isn't it wonderful to be here, Eve? Isn't it a beautiful garden that God made? Isn't it marvelous all that God has done here? He didn't start with anything. What does that say about how great God is? He didn't start with any of that. He got her thinking in the negative. And he said, yes, has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Oh, has God given you this prohibition, Eve? Now, what should Eve have done right off the bat? Because we could counsel Eve now. It's easy for us, right? We could say, Eve, you should have said, I don't like the angle that you're coming to me with. That's what she should have said. I don't like the tone of your voice, and I don't like the direction that you're going in, and I can't put my finger on exactly what you're saying, but Solomon, well, she didn't know Solomon, but anyway, Solomon said, king of Israel in Proverbs 14, 7, he said, go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. And she should have said, I don't know what it is, but I just don't perceive in you the lips of knowledge. She should have gone, put on her Nike shoes and go. Because that conversation with the serpent, it seemed so reasonable. It seemed like he was asking a reasonable question, an honest question. He just didn't understand. What, and so why shouldn't he have tried to explain? No, no. Eve, those are not the lips of knowledge. Run, Eve, run. But the devil asks Eve to help him out. He says, well, did God say you cannot eat from every tree? Now, she, she, you know, excuse me, I'm new to this garden. I just wondered if God told you you cannot eat from every tree. You know, I mean, she should have said to him, what's that? That's, what business is it of yours? That's between me and God. You know, she said, she, but she didn't do that. And the devil appeals to pride and says, oh, will you teach? Will you instruct me? Will you help me here? And draws her by acting dumb and putting himself in this position where he has to get her to speak. You're so smart, Eve. Okay, run, Eve, run. None of his business. Just tell him, go ask God himself. Her first failure is found in the second verse in Genesis 2. You know what it is? And the woman said. That was her first problem. Her first failure was that she started talking to him. She should have never conversed with him. As soon as she started to speak with him, she was falling under the influence of his seductive power. And the contrast is so dramatic, when you have time, turn to Matthew chapter 4, 
verses 2 and 11, where you find the Lord Jesus Christ in the garden, and when the tempter is coming to him, he's like cutting it off right away. And he's saying, the tempter came to him and said, if thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. He answered and said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the God. Finished discussing with you. Then the devil takes him up into a holy place and says, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. He says, and, and he quotes scripture to him. And again, the Lord quotes back to him, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Then it says the devil takes him into an exceeding high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms, says all these things. And you know what, what, finally he had enough. And you know what the Lord Jesus Christ said? He said three words from get thee hence, leave. Get thee hence, he says. That's what Eve should have said. Get thee hence, Satan. That was her first failure. She started to talk. Second failure. As soon as Eve started to converse with the enemy, she fell under this seductive influence of negativity. Oh yeah, everything is really negative around here. Well, we really do have a lot of laws here. And in fact, I'm a little confused about it myself. And uh, yeah, we're not only not allowed to eat this fruit, we can't even touch it. Where'd that come from? We can't touch the, the fruit. We can't touch it. What did she do? She added to the word of God. She added to it. What does it say in Mark 7? You'll look at it later. Mark 7, 7 to 13. It says that in vain the Jewish people are worshiping them, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he goes on and he says, making void the word of God, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. God never told Eve, you know, it's like, boy, that's pretty unreasonable, Eve. What if you happen to be walking, you stumbled and you accidentally touched the fruit? So you sinned against God? God never told Eve not to touch the fruit. But she let the devil confuse her on this, every tree is forbidden. So we got another law here that this is forbidden too. And you see what happened? It seems so unreasonable. God never said, don't mix dairy and meat foods together. God never had all those elaborate rabbinic dietary laws. God never had those 613 laws which kept growing as the Talmud kept being expanded more and more on them. All of that to make the word of God of none effect. Of none effect. That was Eve's great second failure. She added to the word of God. Her third failure in Genesis 3.3. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die, lest you die, lest you die. Now, you compare that with Genesis 2.17, where God said, For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And literally in the Hebrew, it is, to die, you shall die. It's like a, really emphasized. And it's actually a form of a verb called the peel form, which is like for a strong emphasis of warning. But what she did is she put it into another form called the kal form, which is a less intense form. So what did she do? She took away the intensity of the warning that God had given. She didn't say, in the day that we eat this, we, in dying we shall die, we shall die. She didn't say that. She just says, well, you know, kind of water it down. Unless we die, we might die. We should die. So she's already fallen under the seductive power. Third problem, she took away from the word of God. She's already fallen under the seductive influence of the one who's described in Revelation 12 as the old serpent, the devil, Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, and he deceived Eve. And this is the beginning of the downfall here, the tragedy of it all. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for documenting all this for us so that we can put our finger on it, trace it, 
learn from it, and realize and do the opposite. And this morning, each one of us, Lord, affirm our love to you, Lord Jesus, for giving us much more than we deserved because you are good. And help us, Lord, to increase our desire to turn from sin so that it would not disturb our friendship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, Tom Cantor is not just our Bible teacher, and he's not just a pastor. He's also a CEO, a scientist, patent owner. He's also an author, but also the owner and operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, and the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. Just two quick things that I'd like to share with you today. Tom Cantor is having Museum Day at the Creation Earth History Museum on Saturday, September 27th. Saturday, September 27th, he'll be speaking along with Ray Comfort, Eric Hoven, and many other speakers here in Santee, California. It's a suburb of San Diego, California, at the Creation Earth History Museum. For more information, you can go online to creationsd, that's San Diego, creationsd.org, creationsd.org, for more information on Museum Day, Saturday, September 27th. Now, as the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, we are reaching lost Jewish people with the gospel, evangelizing Jewish people in communities, whether they're Orthodox, Hasidic, Reformed, Atheist, or even Conservative. We reach Jewish people with the gospel. You can help us to do that by supporting the Friendship with God radio program and Jewish evangelism through Israel Restoration Ministries. Please donate online, maybe a one-time donation or even a monthly donation that supports this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism. So please donate online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or israelrestoration.org, israelrestoration.org. We need your support for this Bible teaching radio program and to reach lost Jewish people. You can also call us directly for more information about Museum Day and supporting us at 800-247-3051. 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Call us now. 800 247 3051.